What's up, everyone? I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Best Podcast. Today, I am very excited to speak with the icon, activist, comedian, actor, podcaster, and all-around excellent human being, Margaret Cho. She's going to be appearing in this weekend's NYC Virtual Pride celebration, so duh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to see what she thinks about driving comedy shows in the age of COVID and her picks for the best LGBTQ movies of all time, continuing that theme in the second half of the episode. I call Thriller staffer Kyler Alford to talk about his latest article, which details the best queer movies and TV shows you can stream right now on HBO Max, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, all those services you already subscribe to. He's also going to talk about his own definition of LGBTQ entertainment. He's got some great picks. He's got some great insight. Uh, I think we should get right to it, right? So let's drop into my call with Margaret Cho. Here we go. I think the first thing I want to say, and, you know, this is really weird because I feel like you remember weird things when you're a kid, but I have to say, the first show I remember seeing on TV that didn't star, you know, Mickey Mouse or Mr. Rogers, the first adult show that I remember watching was All American Girl on ABC. My brother was a little bit older than me and exposed me to a lot of cool things. So that's really, that's always stuck out in my mind. And I just, I, I feel like I've always known you because of that. That's exciting. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, definitely. Have, have you gone back and watched any of that series lately? You know, like two and a half decades removed from it? Uh, yes. Um, I went and I watched it um, not too long ago because we had a 25-year, re- like kind of a retrospective. Uh, we had a screening of um, one of the episodes. And it was really interesting because... Um, you know, everybody is at a different place in their lives, of course. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to see people, and, and it was fun to get together and, and to kind of talk about the show. And we did it with um, Phil Yu, um, who is an uh, uh, angry, angry Asian man, with the Asian American Film Festival uh, in, in L.A. And, and it was a lot of fun. You know, it was a different experience to come back together and talk about the show. Um, but uh, I, I really loved that. It was fun. Yeah, and what did you think about it personally? Because I know, I mean, on a much smaller scale, but I will look at articles I wrote or or things I did from, you know, five or ten years ago, and part of me is like, oh, this is cool. Part of me is like, oh, I wish I would have changed, like, you know, this or that. What's your take there? Well, there's so many things that I would have done differently, but at the same time, I was such a young person, and the world at that time was so different too. And our approach to um, television was different. There was only four channels Mm -hmm. and it was so hard to get a show on TV in general. And I was so intimidated by the entire process of everything. And, and I really didn't know what I was doing. Of course, now I have much more of a, a broader perspective on things, but back then I was really terrified and, Disney was a huge entity. ABC was a huge entity to me. I, I really felt like um, an employee when I, I really was the boss. And I right. didn't understand that for the longest time. And it's taken me uh, really quite a long time to figure that out. But now I get it, of course. I, I would have done a lot of things differently. But I'm glad I had the experience. Um, certainly gave me uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of information. But uh, I look back on it, and I, I, I have a lot of um, compassion for the kid that I was, and, and I'm grateful that I got to do it. And for a lot of people, it was the first time they saw an Asian-American person on TV, which I'm grateful for. Uh, I think that's really cool. 
And um, unfortunately, we didn't get to do um, that many. Uh, we only got to do one season, mm-hmm. but it was significant for me. And um, for a lot of people, it was the first time they saw Asians. And um, it gave people this idea that they could go and pursue a career both in comedy and in entertainment, which is good. Definitely. And that's very cool. And um, yeah, I don't know if you know this, but there are a ton of clips, I think, actually full episodes, probably illegally on YouTube right now. So if if anyone wants to check it out, they might have missed it the first time around. Um, You can search for it on YouTube. So, yeah, I I definitely want to talk about uh, Pride. And I remember last year, last year's World Pride, um, you you were part of it. And you had this uh, joke that I thought was really funny and stuck out in my mind about May being like gay Ramadan where everyone fasts for pride in June. Um, I thought that was hilarious. Do you think that pressure <laughs> is still there, even though we're going virtual this year? Yes. Well, I think that so much about pride or, and gayness kind of has to do with this like body dysmorphia. You know, it's kind of like y- y- the the way that we celebrate a lot is kind of in the way that we look and how our look in a kind of a weird um, ideal, whether it's uh, youth and even whiteness and beauty and um, this kind of ideal that doesn't even really necessarily exist. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's something that we need to sort of like get rid of in a sense, because it's an internalized, it is a kind of a homophobia too. Because it's a sort of weird of like this. If we can't be sort of a normalized, quote unquote, heterosexualized person in our lifestyle, at least we can somewhat, quote unquote, normalize in our socialization. You know, like so that's where we um, hetero out our being is. At least we can conform in a certain way that way. Sure. That's kind of the way that I kind of like think. Okay, well this where this is where I conform is is through. Um, this kind of thing of like, okay, I'm going to have my body be a certain way. If my sexuality can't be normalized to society, then I'm going to normalize in this area. Totally. Um, and, you know, and speaking of that, speaking of this year's Pride celebrations, um, you know, NYC Pride is this Sunday, June 28th, from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, this is the 50th anniversary of NYC's first Pride March, and that sets it apart. But also, you know, obviously, the times we live in, um, the fact that this will be done all virtually sets it apart, too. Uh, what can viewers expect when they tune in, as this is certainly going to be a different experience? Well, I think that it's really an important pride because now we're really connecting with Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. I think that the um, gay pride movement is nothing without the Black Liberation Movement. And it also connects with Black Lives Matter. It connects with uh, black trans lives. It connects with all black lives matter. It's like a really, really important time for us to celebrate that intersectionality, which we seem to lose over the different civil rights movements over the years. We're like kind of like sectioned off and now we really need to come back together in a very, very important moment. And I feel like the pandemic has given us that opportunity to come together and that's what's really different about this year, which I think is really important. And so I feel like all of these different elements of our movement are finally coming together, which I'm really thrilled about. Do you have a favorite memory um, or something that stands out to you from a past Pride Parade that kind of, you know, is, is an exemplary moment where you're just like, that's what that's what I love about these celebrations. And, and that's why I'm here for it. 
I think it's always every time I hear the roar of the Dagshawn bike really entering that that space of like getting the ready, getting to the ready, hearing them start the parade every time. You know, they really try to get to the head of the parade in the beginning because that's the, that's the sort of that's the sound of change. You know, to mm-hmm. me, that's the sound of revolution. They always start every parade, and it really is like. It's really majestic. You know, that to me is really, it's a profound sound. I love motorcycles. I love women. And I love that they let the women take charge. And that's really, I mean, I'm not a military person, but I guess that's sort of the closest thing to sort of military pride I would get is to listen to the Dyson bikes. It's really, really butch. It's really cool. And I love, I love that about our community as we really embrace that. And you know, it's got to bring a tear to your eye. Like, it's a really great feeling. I could see it kind of inspiring similar feelings as to what someone might think when they see, you know, a giant military parade with a bunch of tanks, at least internally, you know? Yeah, it's the same feeling. And I think that it's like, yeah, I think it engenders the same kind of, like, the, the swell in the heart. Like, it's got that same kind of um, patriotic emotion. I think it's the same thing. Just amps you up, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely exactly and you know you know talking about doing things um virtually you, you've done so much in front of crowds obviously over your career uh how do you feel about about doing you know you know comedy sets over a zoom call as opposed to actually being on stage because i feel like when i watch your stand-up you really do feed off the crowd's energy i feel like you do uh, even more so than most performers so how does that kind of switch feel it's odd it's a very disconnected um, experience but I'm getting more and more used to it I've been doing it more often lately and you know now it seems less awkward Mm -hmm. Uh, but I am looking forward to going back to doing live performances I mean I I think that it's sad too because uh, I'll miss you know my summers in Fire Island and Provincetown which to me is really unfortunate you know that's like the, the height of my year is my big gay summer, my drag summer. Right. It's so fun, you know, and that's really, uh, and, and as I get older, those are the times that I really treasure the most out of the year. Um, so it's like, a, you know, it's a, it's a sad thing that, you know, I don't get to see all my friends, but uh, it'll make next year all, all the more fun. Definitely. I mean, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. How do you feel about some, you know, comedians yeah. and musicians uh, kind of setting plans in place to have drive-in concerts or drive-in shows where, you know, I don't know, maybe people will honk instead of clapping. Uh, you know, is that something that you like would that. be open to? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's great. I think that's a really fun idea. I love, um, I love that, that idea like that, that people can get out there and do that. Um, I would love to participate. I think that's a lot of fun. I am old enough to remember um, going to drive-in theaters. And so, to me, I've always loved that experience. So yeah, it's a great. It's, I think it's a great time. Um, so I think I think we should we should definitely do that. Yeah, I went to a drive-in uh, theater one time out in rural Pennsylvania, and I saw a double feature. I think it was The Hangover Two and Thor. So the movies weren't that great, but I actually really loved the experience compared to you know going to a movie theater sitting in the dark. I think I had the hatch of my old CRV open. It was just really fun. I, I would totally do that. Yeah, it's a fun kind of thing to, um, it's kind of like just a very, um, 
it, it's a very fun thing to do with friends. And um, I've done it like in the seventies. I've done it like with my parents, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's one of those things that you do when you're a kid and um, it's fun to go see like scary movies. And, you know, it's definitely like this very like kind of old fashioned thing, but I, I love the idea of it. And I think it's a great alternative. I know. I think they're going to make a comeback. Uh, so, I do have yeah. to mention um, The Margaret Cho, which is your podcast, on Erios, which is a very cool woman-owned podcast network. Um, as someone, you know, like we said, has done pretty much everything you can do as far as being in film, television, stand-up tours, whatever. What has your experience hosting a podcast been like? Were there things that you enjoy that you didn't think you would? Are there any downsides that you didn't think would be there? I love it. I love that we get to still do it, too, in um, the pandemic, that it's possible to get in and get very intimate you know, there's um, a lot of things that we're able to do uh, now. And I love that it, it's um, something that uh, it, it's, it's really um, kind of, it's still very kind of a new form of uh, media still, yeah. which I think is really fun. And I, I really enjoy it. I, I, I haven't found there to be a downside at all. You know, I, I really, I, I love that. I love the innovations. Um, I love the formats. I love that it's still kind of being created you know we're learning more about it as we go along and um yeah i i'm, I'm having a great time yeah i mean you know this is a podcast right here Let, let's call it the obvious but no I, yeah. I also i think i think the format is great and i love for me i, I think i love the way people consume them because they can do it while they're doing chores you know on the commute not so much anymore but i feel like that's what's cool to me it's just it's really open for people to consume it when and where they want yes yes and I think that's really, I mean, that's really cool. Like, I, I think that there's, there's a, there's an opportunity also to be very um, exploratory and intimate. Yeah. People find an ease with it that, that necessarily, like, doesn't necessarily exist. Uh, I guess in other terms, like in other kinds of media, like so something that there, there's an intimacy that doesn't exist, at, like in the, as in the radio, like world or like on television. People aren't as open. They're more guarded in those areas. As not in the podcast world, they seem to be more open emotionally. And I don't. I think it's just a mindset somehow. I agree with you there. I mean, I think it's it it, it to me the closest analog. You know, even right now, it's like we're just on the phone together, right? And it, it is like talking to someone on the phone. And I feel like yeah. not. You know, especially uh, for someone like you who is always on camera it's like you know now it's just your voice and it's just a conversation. And I feel like it it allows people to open up a little bit more. Right. There's something about it that doesn't make it seem like um, like the, the interview is going to be um, that it, it's not going to be uh, used against you in a court of law. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> like, there's something there's something weird about it. Like, that it, it, you know, something like when you're like on television or like in a radio interview, like there's something about it that you're, there's a formality to it that seems that it, it, you have to be very careful about what you say. And um, there's not that, that formality in podcasting, which I, I think that people everywhere across the board have that sense that they can say whatever they want. Well, not that whatever they want, but they, they can be a lot more easy about themselves, you know, and then so that, that that's kind of, there's a casual nature to them, then they can be free. Exactly. And they can be themselves and they can embrace who they are. Um, and I think that's great. If someone is starting, um, someone never listened to The Margaret Show, uh, what episode would you recommend for someone getting into it? I- I've listened to a few and I love it. So. <laughs> oh, thank you. 
Um, I guess I well, I like the Quentin Tarantino one because I think he's really interesting, and I I, I really think that he's always a a fun one, and also because it's it's just like always interesting to hear people like that you know in a certain way, and then when I talk to them, then you kind of get to know them how I know them, which I I like that. So that's sort of what my podcast is about: is to get to know them how I know them, which is a different way to know them. So I, I like that. Um, so that's a good one. Um, I like the Tiffany Haddish one is also great. Also, the Kathy Griffin one is really great. So there's lots of lots of different ones, lots of different ways to know people the way that I know them. So that that's my favorite. I started off with the Tarantino one, so I can I can I can vouch for that. That's a great one to start with. Um, yeah, it's a great one. It totally is. So I want to get your take on the three best or your three favorite. LGBTQ movies of all time, films, cinema. The top three. Well, I can tell you, um, I can run down mine just, just to just to give you a second, and also just kind of uh, give you a sense of where I'm coming okay. from. My my, and this is descending okay. order. Uh, number three for mm-hmm. me would be The Birdcage. It's hilarious. It's it's absurd. Oh, Rob, yeah. Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. Dream Team, comedy Dream Team. This is a movie for whatever reason my family watches every Thanksgiving. I don't know how that became a tradition, but it's a movie I could probably watch every month for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. and it would still crack me up. Um, number uh-huh. number two is Pariah, which is written and directed by D. Reese, uh, which is just really, really great movie. Um, 17-year-old in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, coming to terms with her own sexuality and, you know, the rift it causes with her family. I don't actually want to talk about it too much. Have you seen Pariah? No, I haven't. That sounds great, Oh, though. my God. I think it came out in, in 2011. Um, it's weird because I remember when it came out, it was, you know, it, it got really stellar reviews. But I feel like it's not as celebrated or talked about as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one to mark mm-hmm. down. And number one for me, I'm basic whatever is Brokeback Mountain. I love Ang Lee. I, I think it's actually one of my... Oh, I love... It's so good. One of my favorite movie. movies, period. It's it's just beautiful. And it, it's so sad. I love it. The movie is so sad. And, and then you watch seen, it. Um, and then Heath Ledger makes you sad because, uh, you know, he's, he's not around so anymore. Good. So. I know. He's so good. I, lo- I love... Have you seen um, Orville Peck's new music videos? It's like... It's, I call it woke back because it's so, it's, it's so, it's, it's really woke back. It's great, but it's kind of like, it's, it, it's like sort of follows like the first back. If you see it, you'll go, oh, it's very woke back, but it's so beautiful. Yeah. I love, I love horrible pack. So it's very uh, book back, but woke back. Um, I, I love, love broke back also. I, I love broke back. Um, I love Carol. Yeah. Carol <laughs> is great. That's, you know, we- I love we Carol. talk about that a lot as um one of our uh you know the Thrillist Entertainment team's favorite Christmas movies, even though it's not a classic Christmas movie, but you know it's something oh, to watch for that time. It's a beautiful. I love that, and I love Bound. Do you love Bound? I don't think I've ever Bound seen that. Is, oh my god! It's Gina Gershon okay. and um, Jennifer Tilly, and it's the Wachowski brothers. They made it um in order to prove that they could make the Matrix because they had sold the idea of the matrix in order to, in order to sell the matrix they had to make a movie under a million dollars um so that they could prove that they could make the matrix so they made bound to prove that they could make the matrix and so bound is a really amazing lesbian uh kind of like a heist movie it's very it's so hot and it's a really hot like lesbian crime movie but it's really really great i am um, saving also, this i guess a, 
you have to see it. Bound is so good. And okay. then a little bit, uh, uh, honorable mention, Showgirls. Showgirls. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. You know, kind of a lesbian movie. And then um, Velvet Goldmine. Now wait, <laughs> now, wait a minute, Margaret. So, you know, I, I, I have to put you on the spot um, and, and have you rank those. They, they all sound great. But if, if you had to do it, you know, what order would you put those in? Oh, God. I think Carol, Carol, but they're all, well, Carol is probably my favorite because it's just so heartbreaking. But you know what? Far From Heaven is really the best. Okay. Far From, Far from Heaven is like, that's another, I mean, it's just, it's a tar, Todd Haynes. It's so painful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that kind of the painful of like, you know, the, the gay pain of like not being able to be out is like the, that, because he makes his movies, it's just sort of like the una- the inability to express right. of the gayness, like that era of like, so it's like Far From Heaven and then um, Carol also is the same thing. And also Velvet Goldmine is the same. They're different eras of like unable to express the gayness. Right. And it's so painful. So they're that, that thing of like gay in chrysalis, which I think is my favorite form of expression of gayness in cinema because it's the era that I'm most familiar with because it's like the era of like my parents kind of like mm. 60, 50s, 1950s, 1960s gayness because it's the gayness that I witnessed the most, I think, like in my family and then like, you know, like my relatives and then like my older relatives and like, um, like also like just, you know, people around and then come, you know, coming to America. And so it's like the, the gayness that I witnessed growing up. So that's the kind that I like to see in the movies because it's like the most tragic. Yes. Yes. And that also, you know, that kind of reminds me too of one of my honorable mentions, which is a single man which is one of Tom Ford's, I think maybe his first mm. film, yeah, which is great. Have you ever seen it? That's a beautiful movie. Yes. Oh, it's so yes. good. With, um, yes, 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 yes. We have to mention yes, Moonlight. That's a yeah. Beautiful. And then Moonlight, of course, another beautiful. great honorable mention. These yes. are all great. And oh, you, beautiful. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, as as someone who, who is a, a straight man who was not uh, really exposed to a ton of gay culture until I entered, you know, like my mid to late teens. I do think watching a lot of these as a kid really helped me understand and, and in some li- limited ways relate. So I do think it's important to kind of, you know, have these films and to watch them and to expose people to them at, from an early age. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter what sexuality you are. You still need to know about gay culture and gay life. Like, it doesn't, it, your sexuality doesn't have any bearing on what, you enjoy what people should enjoy everybody should be exposed to all types of film and culture no matter what race what sex you you, what gender you know it doesn't make a difference we should be exposed to everything most definitely um i am going to watch bound i think tonight it looks amazing you'll love it it's a great movie it's a great great movie um i love that and i love that story and um yeah mario i just you know like i said before i've been i've been a fan of yours pretty much ever since I can remember. So it was so fun to be able to I talk to you today. This was great. Wonderful. Thank you. Definitely. And everyone check out um, The Margaret Show, uh, basically anywhere you can find podcasts, right? Yes. Okay. So, you know, once you finish this, download some more episodes of Thrillist Best, then go right on to The Margaret Show. Just, it can be a whole night of just excellent podcasting. Yay! Definitely. Uh, okay, Margaret, thanks so much. We have NYC Pride coming up on Sunday. Thank you. Uh, everyone should tune into that too. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, Margaret. Take it easy. Bye. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, Thrilla Stafford, Kyler Alford on the best queer shows to stream right now. Stick around. Kyler, what's up? How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I'm doing okay. So we just ended with Margaret, and we ended the interview talking about some of our favorite LGBTQ movies. And um, I don't know if you know this, but I watch a ton of movies. I don't watch a ton of shows. I really don't. I'm I'm super behind on almost every new show that people are watching. So I know that you worked with the entertainment team to put together a streaming list of LGBTQ movies and TV shows. So I wanted to get some picks from you about shows I could stream. Yes, no, definitely. I have a lot of ideas. I think one of my all-time favorites, um, and I know that it's like broken into mainstream, so it's, it's not the most original wreck right now, but mm-hmm. I think Pose is really like one of the just like most monumental shows that we've had recently. I think it has um, a very like large number of trans actors on it, and I think that's rare to see, especially like in the past, even if there's trans characters, they aren't necessarily played by trans actors. Um, and so this show is like very cool to see because it jumps into the New York fall culture, um, back in the eighties and it really tells a story that a lot of people don't know about. It's kind of like the Paris is burning documentary that, um, blew up in 1990 and has like really shaped the way that queer media is and like people's perception of the drag community. Um, and it kind of takes that same period of time and that same kind of culture, but it dives in in a more dramatic way. Um, and it's the Ryan Murphy show, so it it definitely has like a share of drama and it's fictionalized, but I think it really does show um, just a lot of the struggles that people were going through at that time. And I think especially as a cis white person, it was eye-opening just to kind of be put in um, the mindset of somebody who's facing this oppression that I didn't even think was happening to this extent. Yeah, you know what? I've never watched this show. As I said, I, I'm I'm pretty awful at keeping up with... With shows, yeah. but um, I've definitely seen it. It is on Netflix, right? Yeah, so it's it's an FX show, um, but it's not on the FX on Hulu because FX moved to Hulu. So right now, the two seasons that are out are officially both on Netflix. So that's the best place to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you could rent it on Amazon Prime if you don't have Netflix. But I would say that Netflix is definitely the um, most economic way to see it right now. All right, awesome. That that sounds very interesting. Um, I will uh, I will definitely. Have to check that out. So, aside from Pose, which is a great first pick to lay out there, um, what else have you been watching recently? What else would you uh, implore other people to watch? Yeah, one of the other ones that um, just came out in over the spring, I mean, it just finished this month, is We're Here, and it's an HBO show. Um, and I actually I wrote a standalone article on this, kind of diving in. I talked to um, Shangela and Eureka, who are two like drag queens from Drag Race. Of course. And I got to talk to them. They are um, two of the three hosts on the show. The other one is about the drag scene. And they basically go around to conservative towns, and they have like a kind of queer IE where they'll find some people in the town, and they'll get them ready for like a one-night-only drag show. Okay. Um and everybody offers to get into drag. Like all the people that they work with are getting into drag for different reasons. Like one mom, um, her daughter came out and she was very not accepting because she's a conservative Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and she lost her relationship with her daughter. So she reaches out to these queens and is like, Hey, I want you to put me in the drag show. Um, that way I can like use this as a chance to publicly apologize and show my daughter that I've come a long way toward accepting, um, 
just queer people in the queer community. So that's like just one example, but there's so many different people who jump in for different reasons. Um, and it's really cool just to see this like reality makeover type show. Um, but I was told by both Shangela and Eureka that it's not a makeover show, despite it seeming that way, that it's definitely a reality show because they're making like real change by um, just working with people and nurturing some like queer leaders so that they can get these communities they go to um, just kind of liven them up and get some of the queer people together and show them that even if they don't live in a big city, they can have an outlet to go um, and connect with each other. That's interesting. And Shangela is so that's, hilarious also. I mean, I would watch her do anything. Oh, yeah. It's, it naturally is very funny. It's the kind of show where like you're laughing one second and bawling the next second. And yeah. it's just so enjoyable. It has the perfect mix. And I think, not to be controversial, but I definitely like it more than Queer Eye because I feel like it really empowers the whole community. Um, it's not just the one person that they helped each episode. Um, so I think they have a little bit more of an impact than Queer Eye on like a larger group. Um, and I also just think it's cool because, you know, drag has really blown up with Drag Race over the last handful of years. And it's nice now to see that, um, you know, in small towns, people aren't that exposed to gay people in general, but they especially are not exposed to drag queens. So seeing these drag queens roaming around town, handing out flyers for a new show that's coming up and just kind of seeing the discomfort they have by being like challenged to, um, just like open their minds to things they hadn't opened their minds to before. I think it's really entertaining, but also kind of like heartwarming just to see people's views be challenged and kind of open up a little bit. That is so interesting. So like what, what type of towns are they going through? Cause in my mind, I'm picturing like, you know, very, very small, almost, you know, maybe rural in some cases that have no semblance of gay culture. And then these drag queens come in, are they going into places where it's like just totally a culture shock? Yeah, they definitely go into some really tiny places. They go to, um, like, Twin Falls, Idaho, Farmington, New Mexico, um, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. One of the interesting ones, um, they go to Branson, Missouri, which is, like, <laughs> a big entertainment town. It's probably one of the bigger cities they go to. Yeah. And obviously, wherever you have, like, an entertainment community, you're going to have a queer community. Um, but because Missouri is so closed-minded and conservative, there isn't really a queer community there. And the queer performers had, up until recently, I guess the Supreme Court just changed the rules on this, but up until recently, they didn't want to come out because they were scared that they could be fired even though they're in this like queer industry. They mm-hmm. still couldn't be themselves. Um, and Missouri is actually one of the places they went where they got like somebody called the cops on them just for walking by their store. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely was interesting to see that a town where you'd think they would be a little more exposed than the average Midwest town um, still just has not been exposed as much as you would expect them to. And something as simple as a drag queen, we're in New York City, we see that everywhere. Like you go into any bar and there's a drag show and it's it's a big part of nightlife and it's a fun thing that we don't bat an eye at. I yeah. think um, it's really interesting to see these other people who it's such a dramatic thing that they feel the need to call the cops just because they see a drag queen walking by not even harming them um i wonder so what definitely is just what did they call like what what was the reason for calling the cop like what uh what crime were they supposedly violating it, they definitely were not i mean maybe yeah. like trespassing ish they basically just said like the cops are on their way and then the queens obviously weren't gonna like be dramatic they're like okay okay we'll get out of here and it didn't blow up into like some huge fight but it was just 
thought they were like, really? Like you're calling the cops on us? And it definitely was not a heartwarming moment, but it also is like so bad that it is a little bit comical. Yeah. Yeah. Like you really just can't even exist without people wanting to call the cops. Like that's just how ridiculous um, some of these communities act because they just don't realize that this is not a big deal. Sure, that's so interesting. I love that. Um, I, that's it's, yeah. it's such a good idea for a show. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it makes great TV too. Excellent. So that is, you know, more of a reality type show. Um, yeah. What would, you, what would your third pick here be? Uh, I was struggling because I think there's so many, just like interesting ones, and everything is so different. So mm-hmm. I think for me, one of the ones that I just recently watched is London Spy, and it's on Netflix. Okay. Um, and it's a British crime drama, and it's not—it's not like necessarily about gayness, but yeah. it's like it's—it's it's the kind of show where like there are a lot of gay characters in the gay plot, but that's not like the point of the show. The point of the show is that there's a spy that's murdered, and they're trying to hunt it down. But it just happens to be like a gay couple where one of the people is killed, um, and so like his lover is out trying to avenge his death. Um, and so it's it's just one of those things where it's like you have queer representation, but it's not the whole story arc. There's a lot more to it. And I think anyone who likes just a general crime show um, can really stick with it. It's kind of like in the same vein as Bodyguard, um, like okay. a more serious, more slow burn thriller. Um, but it definitely gets pretty wild. And it's only five episodes long, only one season. So you can binge it in one afternoon if you want. Oh, that's great. Um you know, yeah. you kind of also bring up a point that I want to ask you about, too, is how, in the context of this article, did you define a queer show? You know, like, was it just if um, there are themes, you know, running over the course of the series? Is it that, you know, uh, predominantly most of the characters are LGBTQ? What was your, you know, what rubric did you have? Yeah, I mean, obviously everything is a little bit subjective, mm-hmm. um, but I would say most of the things on there are, like, blatantly queer content like they're about queer relationships or documentaries about the queer experience or um just things like that and i think there are some shows like for example i have um even universe and she-ra and the princesses of power which are two cartoons yeah and they're they're like marketed toward kids more um but they're shows that adults have really clung to because they have like such substantial content um for cartoons and in those shows it's definitely they're both about like groups of people who are defending their planet um but within that there's just so many queer themes that you're not used to seeing in a cartoon that i felt like they needed to be on this list because it's just kind of like breaking that genre you don't normally see um i know growing up i didn't see any gay characters in children's content so it's kind of cool to see that even though it's not a show about gayness there are like gay couples and there are still like little subplots um, intertwined that have queer themes. So I think it was a little bit subjective, um, but they all definitely have a strong gay theme running through them. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but stick around. We'll be right back. While you're here, you know, we were talking about film and I know that's something that you covered in your article too. As far as things that are on the big streaming services right now. Um, do you have a favorite movie uh, uh, from the list or, or otherwise that you would want to include here? Oh, my goodness. I know. It's a tough question. Yeah, okay. I think 
I've been like recently watching, like catching up on a lot of documentaries and I think everyone should definitely watch Disclosure, which just came out on Netflix. I think that's super important. It's okay. about trans representation and portrayals in media. And I think it's something that just people especially need to watch because it's just something that I had never really thought of. And it shows a lot of examples of um, like so progressive movies um, where you look at it and it's still problematic, but I think to fit people, it's like, ooh, this is changing the world. Mm. But to trans people, they look at it and they're like, no, this still isn't painting our community in the best light. Um, so I think that's something that everyone definitely should watch. It's very educational and also interesting to, to see um, people's reactions to a lot of famous movies that have come out throughout the years. They really go through the whole history of media. Yeah. Um, but I would say one one that I did not expect to like, one movie that like blew my mind was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's yes. by Hulu. Yeah, so good. Um, yeah, and it's in French, and I think I had, I think that's why I didn't expect to like it because it's a period piece, and I tend to not like the slower, older period piece movies. And obviously, when you're reading subtitles, it just adds an extra challenge. But mm-hmm. I think the story is just like so beautiful that even with like a slow plot with no like huge climax and even when I'm having to stare at the screen and read the subtitles I think it was just so gripping to where at no point did it feel like a chore to have to be translating or like watching them speak in another language and not really understanding it and I think that's something that after a parasite I know a lot of people started opening their minds to watching um, foreign movies and I think that really was the best decision that I made was to not limit myself just to English movies set in this time period because I think you miss out on a lot of just really interesting and like complex love stories. Um, so that's definitely just about a uh, queer lesbian love, and I think it's it's super interesting and touching and heartbreaking and just also beautifully shot. Like it's a very nice visual. Um, movies to watch it is it is i did not know that was on hulu that was actually kyler that was the last movie i saw in movie theaters before the pandemic so probably the last movie i saw in theater for a long time and it was a good one so yeah that's excellent yeah um these are these are a good one to watch in theater yeah it was um these are these are great picks i think i have a lot to stream now so all of these are available you know netflix hulu hbo I've subscribed to all of this. This is perfect. It's great. When you hear about these great picks yeah. that are on like things I already subscribe to, it's almost like, oh, I can watch these for free. And then I forget that I actually pay for all these services in the first place. Yeah, but it feels free. So just don't think <laughs> yeah. about it. It does feel free if you don't think about it too hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the article, um, you know, if you just search for best LGBTQ movies and thrillists and Kyler Alford, you'll, you'll find it on the interweb. Um, but there's a ton more picks on here that uh, everyone should check out. And, Tyler, happy Pride. Thank you for coming on and thank you for dropping some knowledge. Um, yeah, my schedule is booked now. Yeah, thank you so much. There truly is so much to watch, so you better catch up. Awesome. I will. I certainly will. Um, cool. Well, have a good day, man. All right. You too. Later. Bye. All right. Big thanks to everyone who helped make this episode happen. Megan Kirsch, Jim D'Amico, Mia Fask, Emily Feld, Brett Kushner, and Mangish Hadakudar from iHeartRadio. Big thanks to Dan Byrne, who edited and mixed this episode. Hope to see you next week. Stay strong, everyone. Stay safe.